Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate weekly classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks, as always, for hitting play. Now, the guest on this week's show is part of a group that had some huge hits in the 70s and early 80s by taking other people's songs and making them their own. Blinded by the Light was originally a Bruce Springsteen tune, we all know that, but Manfred Mann's Earth Band took that track and made it massive around the world, going to number one on the US Billboard Hot 100. They also had hits with songs originally written by Bob Dylan, Randy Newman and others as well, and adapted classical pieces from Holt, Schubert, uh, Debussy and Stravinsky into being hits as well. So I was delighted to speak with the band's founding guitarist and singer for a while who joined at the start of the Earth Band and left for about 10 years, but rejoined and is still with them today. The wonderful Mick Rogers. He talks all about the early part of the band, where he lost his way. He's very frank and honest about it and he was asked to leave the band and then getting back with them and all that sort of stuff and so much more as well. Now, to clarify for anyone who doesn't know, because the name Manfred Mann can get confusing, here's a quick rundown of the Manfred Mann history. Now, Manfred Mann is the name of the keyboard legend himself. He's the man behind the band, or bands. He's a South African musician who came to the UK originally and had a band called Manfred Mann in the 60s, okay? They played kind of more poppy hits, and they were huge, to be fair. They had three UK number one singles and five top 40 albums as well. Now, after the Manfred Mann band split, Manfred formed a band called Manfred Mann Chapter 3. This was an experimental jazz group and they didn't really produce any hits. So then in the early 70s, kind of 1970 period, he then formed what became Manfred Mann's Earth Band, who would go on to be another big successful group. They had three top 10 singles in the UK. They had six songs chart in the Billboard Hot 100 in the US. Big successes across Europe and Australia and some big albums as well. So hopefully that's a little bit clearer for you when we talk about Manfred Mann and, and all the sort of stuff that goes around there. So here we go. Here's my interview with Manfred Mann's Earth Band star, Mick Rogers, who joined the group 50 years ago. Hi, nice to be talking to you. Good indeed. Now, um, as I said there, 50 years, I think it's 50 years since you brought out the first single, isn't it? It's 72, I think the first album came out, but the first single came out in 71. So 50 years, that's incredible, really. I know, it is incredible. And uh, we're still friends, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, uh, I mean, time just rocks around, isn't it? I mean, it is incredible. And Living Without You, I think that was the first single. Yeah, yeah. It, it did well. I mean, it did well in the States. It uh, got up there into the top 30, I think, at some point. Yeah, it was, it was good. That's right. And just talking about yourself then, Mick, I mean, the earliest footage that I could find online of you was with a band called Procession, and you're on a, an Australian TV show and everything like that. Can you remember that? Yeah, well, Procession, it was actually in Australia. I went to Australia in 1967 with a guy who was enormous in, in Australia, and it was Normie Rowe and the Playboys. Mm-hmm. I was on a tour with my own band. Uh, with, you know, it's one of those package shows. Yeah. And at the end of the tour, I was asked to join this, this band in Australia, you know, who were big in Australia. So I went with them. It just snowballed from there, really. Yeah, it was great, you know. Incredible stuff. And then how did you join up with, with Manfred then? How did you first meet Manfred to join the band? When we came back to him, we had a big contract. Procession had a big contract over here. And uh, the producer was sort of a drummer with the original Manfred Man. Yeah. And uh, so through Mike, Manfred heard a bit of what Procession was doing. He heard my voice. Procession broke up. I then went back to Australia and formed my own thing and had a really big band called Bulldog, which was great. 
And uh, I was at a, some sort of a record reception. I got a phone call uh, from David Joseph, who is the uh, who is Manfred's manager at that time, and he said, "Would you like to come back to England because Manfred wants to form a rock band?" And he heard you singing and really likes it. You know? So I said, "Well, great," because I was planning on coming back home anyway. And we got together New Year's Day, I think it was. It must have been 1971. New Year's Day. Uh, at Manfred's house, and he didn't even know I played much guitar because <laughs> I'm a guitarist singer, not the other way around. Yeah. You know. And then when you when you joined Manfred Mann, it became Manfred Mann's Earth Band. I mean, obviously Manfred was famous yeah. for the pop songs of the '60s, and he'd just come out of a jazz phase as well. So you said that he wanted to form a rock band. Was that the remit then for the style of music that the band was going to then take on? I think so. Yeah. I mean, none of us knew what was going to happen, but it was just one of those lovely accidents that uh, Manfred already knew Chris Slade, the drummer, you know, and uh, Colin, <clears throat> Colin Pandon. So, so we got together for a rehearsal, and it just went incredibly well. And we all got on super well. You know, we're still great friends today. Yeah. It just worked incredibly well at the first rehearsals, and. Um, you know, we said, looked at one another and thought, this is it. This is the band, you know. Fantastic stuff. And then, like you said, you had a hit in America with Living Without You, the first single. The first big hit here in the UK was Joybringer, wasn't it? It went top 10 in 1973. I mean, that must have been some feeling at that point. Well, that was fantastic because um, we all want to do the single. You know, Manfred still still likes the, the format of the single because that's, that's what gets you there, really. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Joybringer over here was top five in some charts. And we uh, got a call from the record company, rather. Would you come in uh, to the office and do some interviews? Uh, because between the hours of 8 and 10 in the morning or something, it sold 14,000 records, you know, which is unheard of these days. I think what happened was the BBC, BBC One, Radio One, stuck with us. They played the tune for like four to six weeks and nothing happened. It wasn't moving at all. You know, it wasn't selling. And BBC, they stuck with us. It was incredible. It never happened today. And then uh, David Hamilton, bless him, he made it his record of the week. And once he, it trebled up on the plays and then it just took off from there. It was incredible. Yeah, it was great. Fantastic stuff. And then um, you talk about the, the singles and things like that. I mean, Manfred was a legend at reinterpreting other people's songs, wasn't he? Obviously, you think of Randy Newman and Springsteen and Dylan tracks. They obviously spring to mind straight away. Now, the Earth Band's versions of these kind of songs became the definitive versions of the tracks, really, didn't they? Yeah, I think Manfred was one of, you know, when, when Bob Dylan released the bootleg types, the publishers, because he had a hit with Quinn, and a couple of other Dylan things in the 60s. I think the publishers sent Manfred Dylan's demos and stuff. We used to get those tracks pretty early on. You know, I've, I've always said that we did a festival years later with Dylan and we played more Dylan tunes than what <laughs> Dylan did, you know. <laughs> it's funny. But, uh, yeah, it, it, we became synonymous with Dylan and then also with Springsteen much later, you know. Absolutely. And so what was it that, that attracted the band to, to certain tracks then? What, what, made, what made a certain track stand out to think that you could really put your stamp on it? I think the simplicity, especially with Dylan, he, he used to just do them with guitar and vocals. And I think the simplicity of the demos or tracks, whatever, gave you somewhere to go. And so we were able to put our stamp on it. And of course, when 
America started playing the mini moog. There weren't many uh, players of that instrument over here. And it became the guitar and the mini moog together became the earth band sound. In, in fact, it, it, it still is in some respects, you know, the way that we play together. And then we talk about one of the, the big tracks. I mean, you mentioned Springsteen. I mean, Spirits in the Night, that your version, the all six and a half minutes of it is absolutely fantastic. And I, I love when you listen to the, the two songs side by side. I mean, your song just stands out a million times more. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> well, I... I uh, I think it was the first time I ever used a wow solo as well. Yeah. And I, I we just come back from America and I bought this Morley pedal, which um, I, I noticed that Frank Zappa used, and I, I bought that back with me, and I used that on Spirits in the Night solo, if I remember. Yeah. Um, I learned Blinded by the Light, and I, I learned um, Dave is on the road again before I came out of the band. I came out of the band for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole story behind that one, you know. But um, And then I rejoined late 85 for a big European tour. But, uh, yeah, it was a good period. It was a good period, yeah. Absolutely. You touched on it there. I mean, Nightingales and Bombers was, was the last album you officially appeared on. Uh, Chris Slade, I heard an interview recently saying that you became disillusioned with the band. I mean, what, what was happening there? What, what made you leave? Um, it, my head went in the most simple way. My head went. I had the opportunity. I mean, Zappa was a big hero of mine. And uh, when we were in America, I played with Zappa on a gig. Uh, there's a whole story behind that, which I won't go into now. But I played, and I I was sort of heard rumors where he said, "Oh, this Mick guy is cool." You know, I mean, I played bass as well, but he he watched the Earth Band set. And he saw me play guitar and sing. And uh, there was the slightest hint of a, of a, a gig in the offering. Uh, and I met Zappa again in Australia and went to a sound check and stuff. And my head went because Zappa's music was the kind of thing that I, wanted, I wanted to play. The incredible thing is, is that I'm now working with a guy who was with Zappa for about seven years, Mike Keneally. And he's he's great, but you know I wasn't grown up enough to say, listen, you know, there's only one Frank Zappa, and you know he probably doesn't need you to be in his band, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was a strange period for me, and I went back to Australia, and I, I I formed this band of session musicians, and and got that out of my head, and uh, and then came back to England. And then had the offer of rejoining the Earth Band, so it all worked out well in the end. All worked out well in the end. I mean, did you leave on, on good terms? I mean, what did you think at the time when, especially when Blinded Light Light came out and, and became such a big hit? What were you looking back on it? Well, obviously, I was I was a bit perturbed, you know, because <laughs> I was sort of used to buy the billboard in 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 uh, Australia and every week I'd see the billboard charts and I'd see Manfred Man's Earth Band creeping up with blinded <laughs> by the light. I thought, oh God, you know. <laughs> and there was me in Melbourne with this, this great band, but it, uh, it wasn't going to go anywhere, you know. And uh, I thought, oh God, what do I do now? You know, so there was that period, but it was like a, a slap on the face to me that I should have been more grown up and not left the Earth Band in the first place, you know. Absolutely. In fact, I didn't leave. I was sacked. I went to I went to a meeting at the workhouse, which was Manfred's studio, and he, we had, they all sat round and said, "Nick, we voted you out." 
basically because you're becoming a pain in the neck, you know. So we should fair enough. There you go. There you go, indeed. Um, and then you you said uh, back in the eighties you joined the band again, and you've, you've continued to play with them and tour with them ever since. And it's it's still going strong, isn't it? I've yeah. obviously COVID and everything like that restricted at the moment, but uh, in terms of um, doing gigs and things like that, they're always lined up, and you're always out on the road, aren't you? Absolutely, it's only because of COVID, obviously. That uh, this year was going to be a big year because it's fifty years of Earth Band. There's going to be a new compilation coming out. Map is recording tracks now. He lives in Sweden now, but uh, he, uh, yeah, and we were, we were going to do lots of tours, lot, oh, lots of gigs, rather, and a tour with Status Quo was going to happen in December, which has all been put back to next year. Mm-hmm. So we'll still be doing those gigs, uh, maybe on different dates, but, um, uh, and, and we're, I think we're pretty much touring with, uh, with status quo again as well because we work well with him. It's a, it's a good ticket. It's a good show, you know. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. And just talking about Manfred, then obviously you've worked with him for a very long time. You've known him for a very long time as well. I mean, as an individual, as a, as a musician, I mean, what what do you have to say about Manfred? The first thing I say is never argue with him or any of the Earth Band guys. If we've if we've got into a, an argument of any kind, it's a musical argument. It's never on a personal basis. Never ever. And we get on incredibly well. We we like the same things music-wise. And, uh, no, it works. It's great, you know. Good stuff. I mean, Manfred's 80 now, and he's still, he's still dying to get out on the road next year. We are doing a gig as the Earth Band um, in, uh, in Yarmouth, a big festival, which is in February. And we will use another keyboard player for that. So... Uh, um, we're going to Russia without Manfred because he doesn't fancy that with all the traveling and stuff um, in December this year, if it comes together. Depends on how many Russians are vaccinated. <laughs> Very true. Very true. I've got a quick question as well from one of my listeners, Colin Seagate from Albany in New York. Um, he asked, is there any plans yeah. for a follow-up to Sharabang? He says, always loved your voice, Mick. Well, I think there will be a Solar Fire album. With a Colin Patton on bass, uh, a German drummer called Dieter Schroeder, and uh, Mike Camille on keyboards and guitar. So there will be a solo fire. And yes, and I'm writing tunes for other people as well. Uh, there will. The problem with Shadowbang, I didn't want to do all those covers. I wanted to do original tunes. Uh, so that was a bit of a failing on my behalf. Uh, but the record company. Paid a lot of money, great musicians from Nashville, and uh, so I'm with it. You know, it's a nice album. It's not a great album. It's a nice album, but um, you know, I I thought that my first album, um, Back to Earth, was a, a better thing for me personally. It showed off my music much better than what Sharon did. But in answer to the question, yes, there will be a follow-up. Not in the same way. Not in the same way. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Mick, Um, and I wish you all the best going forward, and hopefully we'll get to see you live again soon. That's brilliant of you, and uh, and somehow stay in touch. It'll be nice to talk to you again.
Mick Rogers there, candidly honest about the time where he lost his head. It must have been so hard to leave the group you've just been part of, a major part of, and then they go on to have worldwide smash hits literally just after you leave. So I'm glad he stayed friends with the group and he rejoined them in the 80s and he's still touring with them today. A big thank you to Colin Seagate from Albany for putting a question to Mick as well. If you want to put your question to a future guest, then sign up to become a VRP VIP. You'll learn before anyone else who the future guests are going to be and you get your chance to ask a question question to those guests too you get loads of extra information and snippets and everything else as well by signing up to becoming a vrp vip just go to our website which is vintagerockpod.com and you can sign up on the front page there now i was scolded by a couple of people last week for not including a top five in the last episode for robert berry uh david warner brian gray and harry wiles all messaging asking where the list was i can only apologize i'm really sorry so not to incur further wrath here's my favorite manfred Mann's earth band tracks with their top five songs according to Vintage Rock Pod. At five is a song originally written by a Scotsman, Mike Heron, from the Incredible String Band. The Earth Band, fronted by Chris Thompson, took his version and ramped it up with a full rock band and included it on their 1979 album Angel Station. And number five is Don't Kill It, Carol. For my choice at number four, it's the first of the Bruce Springsteen covers. Earthband's version is much rockier, though. Five guitars, an explosive bridge, and a lot more oomph completely. Chris Thompson's vocals are brilliant. This comes from their 1980 album Chance, and number four is For You. My number three song comes from 1984, and it was cleverly released as well, just before the Los Angeles Olympics. This track is a cover of a Canadian artist, Ian Thomas, and climbed as high as number 22 on the Billboard chart in the US. And number three is Runner. Number two is the big one, another Springsteen track, the one that went to number one in the US, charted top ten in many countries around the world, and is still a staple on rock radio and Hollywood movies today. Insanely, though, the Earth Band's version of this song is the only song Bruce Springsteen has written that's gone to number one on the US Billboard Hot 100. There you go. From 1976 album The Roaring Silence at number two, for me, is Blinded by the Light. And at number one is another Bruce Springsteen cover, this one from the 1975 album Nightingales and Bombers. For me, it's the best recorded version, Mick Rogers on vocals, a full six and a half minutes of brilliance. Again, it's harder than Springsteen's version, more keyboards as you'd expect from Manfred, and the harmonies and arrangements in the chorus are superb. It builds from a cool, funky intro and ends up exploding in the choruses. It makes you want to take a trip to Greasy Lake for sure. The number one Manfred Mann's Earthband song, according to Vintage Rock Pod, is their brilliant version of Spirits in the Night. So there you go. I'm sure there's enough in there for you to disagree with. I know Blinded by the Light is an anthem, but Spirits in the Night is such a great track, as I said, especially the full six and a half minute version. Go and check that out now. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this list. Where do you agree? Where do you disagree? Drop me an email, vintagerockpod at gmail.com or message me on the socials. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod. I like how this pod leads people to check out bands and artists they've not heard before, so or certainly in a while at least, so please go and check out some of Manfred Mann's Earth Band's uh, tracks because they are fantastic. A couple of other shout-outs this week, and I'll start with Kelly Madden on Twitter. Hello and thank you. Uh, Louis B. Free, who enjoyed my chat with Robert Berry on last week's episode. He's had some career, hasn't he? Tell some great stories as well. Check it out if you've not done so so far. Uh, a big hello to Nathan Schneider and Rick, a.k.a. The Silver Fox, as well as Tanya Oliveira and Bob Herricks for 
getting in touch too. Please connect with me on social media. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I post clips from the interviews, some short videos, rock facts and on this day sort of stuff. There's always something going up there. Just give us a like or a follow on those sites. It'll be very much appreciated. Right, now it's that time of the week where we catch up with our good friend Tim Peacock. He's an author and a music journalist for Universal Music and Record Collector magazine as well. And he's here to give us a roundup of this week's classic rock news. And it's that time of the week where we welcome our good friend, author and journalist to the show, Tim Peacock. Hi, Tim. Hi, Paul. Good to be here. How's it going? It, not too bad at all. Enjoying the sunshine. Although I believe where you are, it's, it's just starting to rain. That's not good. It, yes, absolutely. We've had a good week, though, so I shouldn't complain too much. And I did get my walk in today, so <laughs> there, are worse problems, there are worse problems to have. Absolutely. Indeed, there is. Right, um, this is the time where we speak about what's gone on in the rock world then, and you come up with some fascinating stories. Um, yeah. So what have you got for us first? Okay, well, let's get the uh, let's get the miserable, well, the depressing one over first to have a death, unfortunately, oh. uh, the first of the three um, this week. Um, unfortunately, uh, Rusty Young, who was frontman with country rock uh, band Poco from the 70s and 80s, he, uh, he died on Wednesday, unfortunately, of a heart attack, age 75. Um, I, I know you said this is slightly off the beaten track for vintage rock pod listeners, but to be fair, um, yeah, Poco was originally formed by Richie Fure, who was in Buffalo Springfield with Neil Young. So, and to be honest, it's not such a stretch. I mean, certainly, the, the, I think a lot of band, our band, or a lot of our listeners probably would have checked out over the years. They were a pretty cool band, to be fair. Most people would know um, Rose of Cimarron and Crazy Love anyway. Those two songs mm-hmm. would be kind of staples of radio staples, if you like. So, yeah, unfortunately, Rusty Young, who was a very um, uh, versatile musician, um, he passed away during the week. His uh, bandmate, uh, Richie Fure, um, said, I just received word that my friend Rusty Young has passed away and crossed the line into eternity. He said, my heart is saddened. Uh, He was a dear and longtime friend who helped me pioneer and create a new Southern California musical sound called Country Rock. And, um, yeah, he had quite a career, actually, Rusty Young, to be fair. He was born in Colorado in 1946. And um, after... um, after uh, he worked with Buffalo Springfield as well, and he joined Fure to start um, Poco. And actually, I was amazed to find when I was researching this that they'd actually had 21 albums on the Billboard 200 wow. over the years, over a 20-year period. So, um, yeah, they, they were no strangers to the top 40 in America, certainly. And uh, like I say, most people would certainly know Crazy Eyes, the hit from 1973. Um, he was a regular contributor to the band all the time. And... Um, He's someone certainly who'll be missed an awful lot. I'd say he'd be someone a little bit like um, Sneaky Pete from um, Flying Burrito Brothers. He, he was amazing, you know, played pedal steel player, played dobro, all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, they're one of the most bands who are kind of, I suppose, on the fringes of the kind of genres we talk mm. about here, but the kind of musician certainly that everybody would want his phone number for, <laughs> really. So, yeah, sadly, we are definitely poorer without Rusty Young. But he did live to a good age, which is nice to hear, though. But, um, as you said, He'll be missed. Um, the other two stories I've got tonight, Paul, are a little bit more optimistic, thankfully. <laughs> first one, first one concerns uh, Genesis, who, of course, a uh, very famous 
prog rock bands who a lot of our listeners no doubt would be would know intimately there's a new genesis book coming out shortly actually uh, it's coming out in july it's called genesis 1975 to 2021 it's basically the okay. phil collins years yeah um it's been written and put together by an italian music journalist called mario giametti and it's being published by kingmaker publishing in the uk um the name may be familiar to genesis fans because he's already done a previous volume which was 1967 to 75 which as all fans would know the Peter Gabriel years so that was published in 2019 um, so this one follows the same kind of um, same kind of an idea there'll be lots of photos and lots of memorabilia un- previously unpublished stuff but this one also takes in not only Phil Collins but also the album uh, Calling All Stations that they made after Collins had gone and they got Ray Wilson in for a while so it sounds like it's going to be pretty comprehensive anyway so yeah the, the previous one Steve no, no, no less than Steve Hackett praised the previous one anyway yeah. so hopefully this one looks like it's going to be a good one as well um that one is actually it's out on july 15th uh, which i remember because that's my birthday but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the book uh, more importantly the book can be pre-ordered from the publisher's website so that is kingmaker publishing and it's 24.99 sterling so it sounds like it'd be quite affordable anyway so yeah definitely a good one for prog rock fans this so summer. a little hint there tim just saying that you want that for your birthday i, I take it on board don't you worry i understood Read loud and clear. You got the idea. You got the idea, <laughs> <Yeah>. Paul. <laughs> Fantastic. Good stuff. Okay, so what cool. else have you got for us then, Tim? Right. And finally tonight, Paul, this is one for vintage rock pod fans with perhaps slightly deeper pockets, unfortunately. I try to find stuff. <laughs> it's that not another trip explore. to the Rolling Stones store, is it? It isn't the Rolling Stones store, <laughs> no. But um, uh, Metallica's Kirk, Kirk Hammett, his, uh, one of his guitars sold this week at auction for the princely sum of $112,000. <laughs> yes, it's important, the guitar, because it was the guitar that he used in Metallica's first proper music video, which is the video for one yeah. from uh, Unjustice for All. I mean, there were promos, but this is the one everyone tends to think of, if you like. Um, so it's the one he actually used in that. It was sold via Heritage Auctions in the US, and it comes with his, his signature in silver ink at the bottom of the natural solid body guitar, which came with the signed certificate of authenticity and its original case, it would seem. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's quite a famous, quite a famous video that it was in. Um, it was, it was a staple of MTV at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably one of their best known videos. Um, so, uh, it's going to be the interesting thing about this one is, is that apparently the new owner who remains anonymous or is <laughs> wants to remain anonymous, um, they are actually putting the option up of, you know, maybe they might sell it on to someone. So I don't know. Right. Now, what I mean about the, de- the deep pockets is obviously they'd want to make a profit. He bought it for, he or she bought it for $112,000. So the offer price for it to be sold on starts at over $125,000. Oh. So I don't know. Like I say, deep pockets required for this one. But for a serious collector who's in, who's in the market, you never know. You could end up with a bit of Metallica merch there. I wouldn't mind having I mean, I can't really play very well, but I wouldn't mind one of his guitars. As, as absolutely, say. absolutely, Tim. <laughs> um, and I hope that wasn't a hint for your birthday because I certainly can't stretch to that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, don't worry. I'm not expecting that. That sort of extravagance. <laughs> a man of extravagance that you are, though, Tim. So let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one. Anyway, that's all I've got for the listeners this week. So hopefully there's something of interest there. Absolutely perfect. Thank you very much for joining us as always, Tim. You're very welcome, Paul. And a big thanks to Tim as always. And that's it for another packed episode then. If this is the first time you've listened, please hit the follow or 
subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the future episodes. They come out every Monday morning with big name interviews, news and nostalgia to fill all your classic rock needs. Take a scroll back and see some of the big name guests we've had on so far. We've had six Rock and Roll Hall of Famers and this is only episode 25. Not bad at all. Please give us a follow, as I said earlier, or a like on social media. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can see some of the videos as well. Some of the interviews I do on video go up there on YouTube. So search for us on there as well. Give us a subscribe too. And don't forget to sign up to become a VRP VIP. Go to VintageRockPod.com and fill in that first form on the first page there. Tell your friends, family, neighbours, colleagues, anyone really to get listening and join in with a band. Until episode 26 then, remember if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them my music is better than yours. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.